You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! We fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the field. I do not believe that they will ever acquire it as long as there is war. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! Oh, the humanity! What just happened? Happened, happened, happened. Episode 208 Incandescent Spirits. Good morning, Harry. How are your two trusty steeds, Warwick and Marius, doing today? Uh, they're great. They're enjoying themselves out in this sort of cloudy, coolish morning and less bugs to bug them and less sunshine to give them hives and all kinds of other weirdness. So they're having a good time out there for sure. There are a couple of incandescent spirits, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Today we're talking about uh, incandescent spirits, referring to well, a number of individuals, we're going to focus mainly for the first part of our conversation on one of the most prominent and popular inventors of his day, Thomas Alva Edison, who most people associate with the discovery or the creation of the modern light bulb. But there's a story behind that too, which we'll dive into. But we're also going to bring in some of the other illustrious inventors and businessmen of the early industrial age, people like Tesla and George Westinghouse. These three gentlemen, Edison, Tesla, and Westinghouse, were all born at roughly the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. All three of them were born between 1846 and 1856, and they were all in that same age bracket. Yeah, Edison was raised in the Midwest, and at a very young age, he was already interested in experimenting and inventing and that sort of thing. And by the age of 12, believe it or not, he was already working on the railroads, on trains, selling candy and beverages to the passengers. But even more than that, he was so inveterate in what he did was he actually created his own printing press on the train and then printed up a newsletter for the railway, and it was the first of its kind. It had never been done before to have a, an actual publication printed on the train and then distributed. So this was a, a novel thing that he created at around the age of 12 or so. He was so interested in experimenting that the folks who employed him on the train gave him a little corner of one of the cars to set up his sort of experimental laboratory. So he had all these chemicals in these cabinets in the corner of this car on the train, and he would make his experiments, etc. And one day he went too far and a fire broke out, apparently, which lost him his job on the train. So he was turfed from that occupation. But at some point in his early life, he actually saved the life of a young child, a three-year-old child, whose father was so grateful that he actually took him under his wing and taught him the ins and outs of how to operate the telegraph. So he became a telegraph operator in his young years, traveling around the country doing that occupation of being a telegraph operator and became an expert at it and understanding the mechanics and the machinery and the technology behind it. So all of these experiences in his young life pushed him in this direction of being an innovator, of being an inventor, and of being fascinated by all things electrical and machine. Other interesting elements about Edison, in his early life, he had scarlet fever and apparently became deaf in one ear. 
which was interesting because later on he got interested in the telephone that had already been invented, but he wasn't able to hear very well on the phone. The, the microphone mechanics weren't very sophisticated, so he took it upon himself as an inventor to create a better microphone system in the telephone so that he could hear and that those who were hard of hearing could hear more clearly. Some people accuse him of being a thief in a way, of stealing other people's ideas. But what he generally did was he took an idea that didn't work that well, and he would improve it mm -hmm. by adding a better microphone system for the telephone or a better filament system for the light bulb, which he did not invent, by the way. So what you just discussed with the audio portion of the microphone portion of the telephone that also led to the phonograph, which he's really noted for mm -hmm. as well. And you alluded to his early history. He already showed signs of entrepreneurial tendencies as a young boy. So Edison, unlike many inventors of his time, his skills went beyond just invention. It was also his business acumen and his ability to move things and change things and get people behind him. Because like Edison... Tesla also showed a keen interest in mechanical and electrical engineering from an early age. Mm. Also, as a child, he was very curious and imaginative. Unlike the other two who were born in the U.S., Tesla was born in Serbia mm -hmm. in 1856, and he came to the U.S. in 1878, the age of 28, with literally four cents in his pocket. And that's how the story really begins between these two, because Tesla having the skills that he had, and Edison having the interest that he had in electricity, learned of each other. And Tesla, by the way, had already heard of and respected Edison before he even came to America. So the two of them met, and the story begins with Edison actually hiring Tesla. Yes, Tesla worked for the Edison company for a period of time. Let's just backtrack for a second, because two years before Tesla came over, in 1876, Edison opened his first laboratory facility in Menlo Park, New Jersey. And this was a major innovation, actually, because what he did was he didn't just invent things as an individual inventor. He created a system where invention could happen. So he would bring experts in and researchers and people into his laboratory, and they would work and experiment and come up with these innovations and these inventions on a weekly basis. I mean, he basically said, we're going to invent something every week and something of great importance every year sort of thing. Or he was an organizer in that way and a manager and an acute businessman who knew how to spread the word about these new innovations to involve the media and get them excited. And as you say, he had supporters in people like Henry Ford and Harvey S. Firestone, people like that who backed him on some of these enterprises of his. Well, the biggest of all was J.P. Morgan. He financed them almost completely and really backed them later on yeah. when the competition really ramped up between DC and AC current technology. Sure. Well, just for the listeners out there who don't know what AC and DC represents, DC is direct current and AC is alternating current. So they're two different forms of electrical conveyance, let's say. And we'll get back to that story because there's a story behind that. Yes. And also their hope at the time, J.P. Morgan and Edison, to use their financial power to basically eliminate any competition and put their system forward. And to me, that's where the story is really interesting between these two individuals, because Tesla being the skilled man that he was and Edison recognizing it, 
At some point, Tesla developed the different system, which was AC current, while he was working with Edison, and Edison recognized his skills. And of course, the two then began to butt heads because they opted for two different systems, the support of which Tesla was behind the AC system, which was able to transmit electricity longer distances than the DC current. And what ended up happening here was that eventually Tesla left Edison and was literally a gun for hire. Well, then George Westinghouse steps in at this point and basically woos Tesla and pays him for his AC technology and begins to use it himself. It's interesting how these three lives intertwined circled around the same flame and the competition began to step up. Now, this technology was going to change the world because electricity, as you know, gave us daytime at nighttime. Mm -hmm. The World's Fair, late in the 19th century, the competition and some of the not-so-nice methods were used by Edison in particular to discredit or try to discredit AC. Essentially, this was the VHS beta race mm -hmm. in electricity at the time as to who would dominate. Yes, and this is actually one of the more black periods in Edison's story. I was shocked when I heard this happen. I had no idea that Edison actually, at that time when this competition was at its height, he set up some public demonstrations wherein he essentially electrocuted stray dogs using an AC system to try to convince people of how dangerous AC technology was. And he did this in the public, in full public view, and filmed it and all that. And when I heard that, I went, oh my God, that sounds so evil. Mm -hmm. Then that he was capable of doing such a thing just because of the money. It's greed, essentially. To be so cruel to these animals was just astounding to me. So no one is a saint in this story, really. No, and there was a phrase also, I mentioned that early on, when we began this podcast, there's a phrase, the war of currents, which it became to be known. And the difference in opinion led to the war of currents mm -hmm. as they both competed to establish their respective electrical systems as the dominant one. Yeah. And ultimately, Tesla's AC system became widely adopted and really is the standard for electricity transmission today. Yeah. And just staying with Edison for a moment, he, in a way, became one of the first you could almost say celebrity scientists, celebrity inventors. He was known far and wide as the inventor of the light bulb, even though he essentially didn't invent the light bulb. He invented a better carbon-based filament system that allowed the light bulb to work up to 40 hours, whereas other light bulbs would only last for a couple of hours. So he took that invention and he improved it greatly. He was known as the, the Wizard of Menlo Park. Menlo Park was where he had his first laboratory facility in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. so he was known as the Wizard of Menlo Park. So he really was able to kind of manipulate his public profile to a very high level. And then especially after he invented the phonograph, people were extremely amazed and excited. And then the film camera came along, the moving picture camera came along that he invented. Mm -hmm. And he set up the first ever film studio. He called it the Black Maria. Very interesting name. Don't know how that came about. So 1,093 U.S. patents, several thousand patents in other countries around the world. I mean, he was a prolific inventor slash businessman, whatever you want to call him. Even with his spotty 
periods electrocuting stray dogs, which in that time period, maybe people didn't feel as strongly about animals as we do today. Maybe there was more of a lenient aspect to that. But despite all that, you have to consider him one of the great inventors of the 19th into the 20th century. Oh, definitely. As you said, there were so many other inventions and so many other things going on. All this activity was actually creating for the world at large. When you compare it to today, for example, I would say that this particular period in history, the final two decades of the 19th century, you could easily compare it to what's happening today relative to the technology that was available. Yeah, it was a kind of renaissance in a way, ramping up the Industrial Revolution really profoundly and producing the the world that we know, the modern world. Mm -hmm. By the way, just a couple of side notes, Edison only slept four hours roughly a night, taking little cat naps during the day. And he just said that he felt it was a waste of time to sleep, sleeping through very productive hours where you could be doing something, creating something. So he was able to get along on only four hours sleep, which I think is pretty amazing. Oh, and then there's this. Thomas Edison, there's a white guy that would work. Worked 24 hours a day, never stopped, never slept. Stayed in the laboratory, had 1,300 different patents, never slept, never stopped. A lot of people don't know it, but Mrs. Thomas Edison later invented the vibrator. (laughs) And she never slept, never stopped. (laughs) If Edison had known when he invented the record player and the movie camera was going to turn into Marilyn Manson, he'd have said, forget it, I'll fix the toaster. The other sort of funny thing, too, is when Edison died, which was in 1931 from complications due to diabetes, strangely enough, his last breath was captured in a jar. (laughs) And that jar with Edison's last breath is still there in the Henry Ford Museum. I thought that's really interesting, kind of odd, almost a Ripley's Believe It or Not thought form, but apparently that happened. Which adds to the picture that we were talking about, the activity and the people that are involved in this period of history. Yeah. You just mentioned Ford. Ford, Edison, J.P. Morgan, Tesla, Westinghouse, Marconi, the radio we talked about in Wired and Wireless a few episodes back. And Tesla, again, is prominent in that as well, because he actually created the first wireless system that went belly up in part because he didn't have the other attributes that Edison had, the business side of it. He just did what he loved and was always creating, but he didn't have the business part of the invention going for him. So he ended up literally almost penniless. Yeah, so tell us the story of him and Westinghouse and Tesla tearing up a contract. Well, once Tesla left the employee of Edison, he was hired by Westinghouse, and Westinghouse realizing his talents and his skills really let him do his thing, whereas Edison was much more controlling because Edison also didn't just invent. He was controlling vast numbers of people. Yeah. One of Edison's main abilities was the management of people to point towards whatever it was that he wanted to do. But he tended to be a focal point of everything that happened, even though he had legions of people working for him, whereas Westinghouse let Tesla run with things and said, this is your area of expertise. I'll run the companies. Of course, as we know now, Westinghouse 
is a very well-known trademark name associated with electricity that went to all kinds of things, appliances and so on. Yeah. However, what ended up happening was once Tesla developed this AC current system and built generators, and in this particular case then, because of the competition that was going on heavily between Edison and now Westinghouse, and I say those two because Tesla, remember, is now an employee of Westinghouse. Now he gives Tesla not only credit, but he offers him a contract that pays him $5,000 upfront, which in those days was about the equivalent of 150000 today. And he also gets royalties for the use of the AC current, which, to make it simple, ends up being multi-million dollars mm. when implemented. Yep. During this competition, however, remember that J.P. Morgan, one of the biggest financiers of the time, is backing Edison, and they collude to try and monopolize the system. So they do everything in their power to make sure that Westinghouse does not win, but he ends up winning the contract at the World's Fair, and AC is implemented. And at this point, now Westinghouse is almost bankrupt. And so he goes to Tesla, explains the situation to him, says, would you mind if I just do not give you the royalties at this time? So Tesla, without hesitation, immediately decides, not a problem. I can forego all that because he remembered how much Westinghouse had given him, not only in terms of the contract, but the credit. And he really appreciated that. Yeah. Now, the story goes that he ripped up the contract, but I learned that that's not actually what happened. Oh. The contract was never torn. It was simply put aside. And that enabled Westinghouse to continue, which of course led ultimately after the World's Fair, they ended up constructing the very first hydro generation plant at Niagara Falls, which we know today powered all of Buffalo and led to widespread use of AC currents throughout the world. As controversial in a way as Edison was, getting criticism for quote-unquote stealing other people's work and claiming it as his own, electrocuting animals and stuff, as negative a view that some people had of Edison, apparently George Westinghouse was something of a saint, wasn't he, in terms of how he approached people in the work? To this day, he's very beloved by the actual generations that came from the people that worked with him. He recognized things way back. He was actually controversial in the sense that the other entrepreneurs or the other corporate heads did not like that he treated his workers so well and that he gave them time off. And he would oftentimes, if they were ill or their families needed assistance, he would give them time off with pay and so on. Westinghouse remains to this day a beloved figure. They put up statues to him and many other things because he was known as a benevolent fellow who oftentimes would roll up his sleeves and work with the men in the plant. Westinghouse was very skilled at what he did. And one of his fortes, apart from being an inventor himself, was that he was very well liked by the people that he employed. Yeah, which is unusual during a time when there was no unionization at this point. To have that kind of relationship with your workers was a pretty amazing thing. Yes, both Tesla and Westinghouse 
seemed far more preoccupied with creating things that were of benefit to people than they were about the money. Mm-hmm. In fact, both really suffered financially. Westinghouse, throughout his life, he would often be on the verge of bankruptcy because he would just invent and create, invent and create. He would not be concerned about the bottom line oftentimes, which would get him into difficulty. Ultimately, though, because he was successful with his inventions, the brake system on the trains, which I touched on lightly, ended up saving thousands of lives because braking systems on the early trains were atrocious. It would take miles to stop trains because with the locomotives and cars, the early trains were designed in a way that just did not have the braking systems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to adapt to the weights and speeds. As I said, oftentimes it would take miles to stop these trains. Yeah. It's incredible. When you think about what these inventors created during that time period that has shaped our world, as you imagine that a world, our current world, without audio recording, without the motion picture camera, without air brakes on trains, like all of these things, without the light bulb that works for long periods of time, our world would be a completely different place than what it is now. So one of the questions is, is it a better place now than it was before because of these inventors and their innovations, etc.? Or are there problems as a result of the zeal with which these folks pushed new products out into the world, new technical products? Well, I think even Edison himself, all these people really were about trying to improve existing systems and improve the lives of people and create things that were life-saving, that were more efficient. I mean, if we just very quickly summarize this period, I know the focus here is on Thomas Edison and to a lesser extent, Tesla and Westinghouse. But remember that this time period, when you think of these figures, you mentioned Ford already, the Wright brothers, Marconi. Yep. We haven't even talked about the Louis Pasteurs and the other people associated with other Mm. medical inventions and so on. This was a period in history that just completely revolutionized our societies. And it's interesting to see how changes in life expectancy, in urban development systems, inventions, transport, medicine, it all culminated together. Now, is it a plus or minus Yeah. in terms of how do we view this? Yeah. And we always come back to the same thing. Where's the balance? Are we using these things for positive purposes? Is the intent to improve the lives of everyone and at what cost? So the what cost is the question here, whether it's plus or minus. Yeah, you could take, for example, the light bulb. And once upon a time, people would kind of rise and sleep with daylight, with the sun. Farmers would do their work when the sun was shining and then it would end when the darkness came. Same with most other people. There was candlelight, of course, and some primitive gas lighting early on in the Industrial Revolution. But the electric light bulb that could be on incandescent for 40 hours or more, it changed an awful lot in the way people expected to live their lives. People didn't go to bed with the darkness because the darkness was lit up. The city nights were lit up. So it changed our, there's a particular term for our sleep patterns Natural biorhythms. Yeah, it changed our natural biorhythms, exactly. For the better, for the worse, hard to say <laughs> at this point in time. Mm-hmm. We're very good collectively 
at inventing, at creating things to make things faster, smoother, easier. I think the component that's missing that gets us into trouble as a human race is the lack of attention to the spiritual nature side of things. (laughs) We invent something, but then there's just excesses that develop often way beyond helping the common man or making life better. It becomes very greed-oriented or does not have a connection to the spiritual, natural side that says, if I abuse this, it's going to cascade or roll out into all of this. Yeah, we've already talked about AI in that light in one of our previous podcasts. The zeal with which AI is being created and pushed out into the public domain, ChatGPT being the most public example, suggests that whenever anything new emerges, like a revolutionary type of invention or innovation, people will, generally speaking, be drawn to it immediately. Yes. And laud it as a benefactor of human society. But its perspective will give the story on most of these things. You can't know often, right in the early stages, what's going to happen. When we talk about people and inventions, you have an inventor, a person who dedicates their life, perhaps just out of sheer passion for what they're doing, which then goes into the hands of people that have no connection to that whatsoever. Paper pushers, financial people who then take that and exploit it for other purposes. Yeah. So I think the real creators or the innovators, the inventors, the people who have the ideas that create things, oftentimes we confuse them with the end product and the end result. There's a movie going on right now, Oppenheimer. (laughs) Is it him who developed the end product or is it the literally, no pun intended, army of people, politicians, and so on, who now use this for their own ends. Yeah, no, I think there's a distinct difference between the 19th century inventors and innovators who were more hands-on in terms of what happened to their products. I don't think there were as many middlemen and middle companies involved as a product now that gets put into the world. So, yeah, the abuse factor can be very high today because of that. Oh, 100%. Because the people we talked about today, they were creating not only the products, they were creating the systems to produce and get the products out on a functional level. Yeah, and the companies that supported and represented those products. I suppose Elon Musk could be, in a sense, an echo of those 19th century pioneers, would you say, among all the public figures? Absolutely. And like him or not, even people who don't particularly like him respect the scale on which he takes things on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So here's the other little element, maybe to finish this off with. We saw this somewhat during COVID, where, say, a musical artist like Van Morrison, who is extremely popular, right, a legend really in the music industry as a musician and artist, he began to speak out against the COVID measures and coercion of the vaccinations, etc., And there were cohorts of millions and millions of people who turned on him, who had loved him as a musician, and essentially said he's now an evil bastard and and never going to listen to another song by him ever again, yada, yada, yada. Well, thinking about Edison and his electrocuting dogs to make a point is really a horrible thing. It's really terrible. 
And yet we have to also understand the context in which he might have done such a thing. In that day and age, people were treated horribly to begin with, of course, workers, etc. But animals even more so. We didn't have the same attitude towards animals and the same sort of advocacy for animals that we do today. So you have to sort of take these things into account before making quick judgments on who these people were who invented so many of the things that we now take for granted. That's just a point I wanted to make. I would say that one of the main differences between things that were invented 100, 150 years ago and today is that the evidence was much clearer. When a radio was invented, when a light bulb was invented, when an airplane was invented, the results were very, very clear and very definable. Today, much of what happens is not seen. The financing is not known. Yeah, yeah. There's no way of clarifying before it was more basic. And a lot of that had to do with a much broader picture, which was the simplicity of life as well. We had far fewer things to contend with. When Westinghouse invents a braking system that's able to stop a train in 100 meters instead of two kilometers, it's very clear what the end result is. <laughs> yeah. Many of the things that happen today, like a simple app on a telephone, it's innocuous. It's there with a thousand other apps. Yeah. That innocuous app may be giving them very pertinent data or exploring habits and so on that are being used for many more things that we don't even see or know about. Well, sure. Look at the mRNA vaccine that was pushed on populations around the world was based upon a technology that had been in research for a few decades prior to this, but I had never heard of it before the vaccine came out, that term, mRNA. And so in a sense, behind the scenes being worked on and worked on, and then it was thrust upon the public in the form of these vaccines. And people had no idea what they were putting in their arms, consequently, when you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. If we do nothing else with this podcast, I hope that we're offering you at least something to think about or reflect on. Amen. And we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note. We have an audio comment button on every page, I think, of the soulpodcast.com website. And send in your comments. What would you like to hear more about? And thank you for those of you that have left a comment. We only have a handful on the actual site. We've received many more than that. So, Harry, have a good one. And as usual, ciao. Lights out. And ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.